through, uh, journeying through, to pun our, the name of our church, but uh, we are journeying through the book of Ephesians as we ramp up, as we prepare for our first official grand opening launch this fall. Now, why Ephesians? And, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that Ephesians is broken down into these two sections. The first half of the book just talks about who we are in Christ, what our position is as a result of our faith. And it talks about the riches that we have, the possessions that we have because of what God has done, the things that we have in Christ. That's the whole first section. But the second section deals with the practical side of it. It's kind of like since God has given you this in Christ, here's how you can now live and walk in your daily life. So we have all this wealth that's described in the first section in Christ. Now here's how you walk with it. Since God has made you one of his sons, here's how you live. Here's all the privileges you have the first half and now here's the responsibilities to live that out in our daily life. Okay? You see how that works? And so I see no greater way really to lay a solid foundation for Life Journey Church than to teach this amazing book to understand who we are through Christ in God and then how in our daily life here in Crozet, Virginia and around the world we can live that out in our marriages and our families, as dads, as children, teenagers, and how that all works. And right now, we are in the middle of kind of a a, a mini-series, a three-part mini-series in the middle of this opening part of the book, where last week we, we learned about how God in eternity past settled our salvation before the foundations of the world were formed that he already had in plan the, the way of the cross and the redemption that was settled that brings us to, to God through Christ. And today we're going to learn about how Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, how he removed, just as we sang, dying and being buried, he carried our sins far away and what that means. And then next week, he kind of wraps up the Trinity with what the Holy Spirit brings to the table in this whole act of salvation. So last week, God the Father, this week, God the Son, next week, God the Holy Spirit, and how all of them in this beautiful harmony and unity work together to bring about your salvation for those who believe. You know, as we get into today's message, I just, I just want, if, for, I know some of you really well over the last couple of months, we've gotten to know each other. Others, I don't know all that well yet. Prayerfully over time, we'll get to know each other. Uh, it was a beautiful Saturday. I got to spend, hang out, April and I did with, uh, with Rachel and Tyler and just get to know them a whole lot better. And it's just cool getting to know each other. So I just want to be upfront and honest with you guys that in my life, and there are a lot of things in my life, in my past that I've done that are really, really dumb really, really stupid. I think if we're honest, we could probably all say that. But there's things that I wish that I never had done, things that are shameful, things that are acts of rebellion, things that are just plain dumb. And if I could do it all over again, there are things that I wish that I could undo, but they're done. I can't undo them. Unless I experience amnesia, I can't forget them. And here's the deal. The devil continues to try to bring these past sins into the front of my mind, to try to beat me over with the guilt of my previous sin, and even the sin that I continue to commit because I'm not perfect in my walk in Christ right now. Positionally, I am before God, but not in my daily life. I still mess up. 
And the devil, he's good at this. John 10 says that the thief, talking about the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Peter even says that he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. And so how does he do that in my life? What he does in me is he brings up things from my past and says, well, you can't go be a a church planter in a community where there's darkness. Because look at this, what you did in your past. Well, you can't get up there and stand in front of people and and preach the truth and the grace and the mercy of God. Because look at what you did in your past. And he's good at that. He brings in this guilt. He brings in the shame. He says, how can the mercy and the love of God be greater than this heap of sin that you have committed in your life? And I'm just being honest with you. At times, it's it's difficult. But I I would bet, I would guess that I'm not the only one in this room that he works that same way in. I would bet, and maybe you don't experience this, but I would bet that there's men, husbands in the room here this morning that are operating at just a fraction of the joy that we have in Christ because the devil continues to dump on you, men, the guilt of your sin. I would bet that there's moms, women, wives in the group, in this room, That when you stand and look at the mirror, you don't see who God has made you to be. You see tall, you see short, you see wide, you see narrow, you see pretty, you see ugly. That's what you see in the mirror as opposed to who God has made you in him, holy and acceptable through Jesus. Did you realize that teenagers, that teenagers struggle with depression at a greater rate today than ever before. 50 years ago, I'll tell you know why. You can read the research that I read. 50 years ago, the, the average age of early onset depression was 29 years old, 50 years ago. Today, the average age of early onset depression, 14 and a half years. Now, I know that there's legitimate issues and legitimate chemical imbalances that bring about depression. And I'm not talking about that. I mean, there's genuine, legitimate chemical imbalances. And and we probably all know people that that's the case. I'm talking about spirit-filled, blood-bought, born-again believers who live every day defeated because they live under the guilt of your own and previous sin. I would bet that not even this room is the only people in this city that experience that. I would bet that there are people in our community who are born-again believers But they are so underneath the pressure and the guilt of their sin that they will not forgive themselves for that Satan has them right where they want them. Listen to this. If Satan can steal your joy, he will stop your growth and he will eliminate your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? So what do we do with that? There's beautiful news. May God knew that we were going to struggle with this. God in his infinite wisdom knew that the devil was good at heaping your guilt on you. And so he, through the, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, led, was led to write what we're going to read about today in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. So let's go ahead and dive in here. Last week, if you remember, we talked about how God in eternity past, he settled it all. He settled the fact that we were blessed in him, that we were chosen in him, that we were adopted in him, and that we were made righteous through Christ and through his blood. And this week we pick up in verse six, 7. The Bible says, in him, talking about Jesus, in him we have redemption 
through his blood. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Now, this word redemption, that's a good church word, isn't it? But back in the first century, there were over 6 million slaves in the, in the Roman Empire. 6 million slaves. Now, we think of slavery as a thing that happened thousands of years ago, right? Or even hundreds of years ago in America. But do you realize that right now today, there are millions of women and, and men, boys, that are, in, that are owned by like a better term, you know, international pimps that are sold into sex slave every single day. Do you realize that? Around the world, Indonesia, through uh, different areas of, of Asia, right now, millions of sex slaves. What this word redemption means is that there was a price paid for the freedom from that captivity of whoever was owning that slave. This was actually used in legal terms in the court system in the first century where people were set free by a price paid by someone to remove this slave from the slave trade. So what does this have to do with us? Here's the reality. The reality is that because of our rebellion, each one of us are born as captives to this thing called sin. And we are born, each of us, as as owned by this thing of sin. And Jesus, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, Jesus is a good guy. Jesus is a good teacher, you know, but I'm not going to really buy into this whole Messiah and I've got to believe him and all this kind of stuff. But he's a good teacher. Okay, well, if he's a good teacher, let's just take him what he says. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. That's Jesus' own words. So if you have sinned, which you have, okay, make sure we're all on the same page there, because some people believe we haven't sinned. If you don't think we've sinned, man, just look at the television. If you don't think that, if you think there's like goodness in each of us and it's just bubbling, waiting to come out, man, just watch the evening news, okay? That's a lie. And each of us are far from God in our own selves. We are born, no one is born spiritually free. Sin is our master at birth. And so there is a price that has been paid. We have this redemption. We have this freedom from our slave master of sin. And what was the price that was paid? Man, circle that in your Bible. His blood. The only payment that was accepted to remove you from the slavery of your sin master was the precious blood of God's own son. Now, we see through his blood, and in Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Now, I want to make sure we understand that this isn't some kind of like pricking the finger and like a drop of blood comes into this cauldron and this witch stirs it up and it's like some kind of, you know, potion. That's not what we're talking about, just like a drop of blood. This means the death of Jesus, his blood being poured out of his veins on the Mount of Calvary as he died as the substitute. His death was the payment for your redemption, for your freedom from this slave market. His death, a commentator says, frees believers from sin's guilt, from sin's condemnation, from its bondage, from its power, from its penalty, and some glorious day that we just sang about from its presence one day. So what's the result? What is that? Ha- what happens? What's the result of this redemption that is found through his blood? And that's the very next statement. The result of this is the forgiveness of our 
trespasses. Trespass is just a nice, you know, good word for sins, for our shortcomings, for our rebellion. Forgiveness. We have such a terrible understanding of this word forgiveness. Because when we see, you know, when I come home, you know, late because... You know, something got, you know, something went long in, in April. The dinner's a little cold in April. It's like, you know, man, I thought you were coming home early. I was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, I forgive you. She forgives me. But, right, she, it's still there, right? That's not what that is talking about. See, we superimpose our understanding of forgiveness on how God forgives. This word literally means it is taken and put away as far as could possibly be taken away. We just sang a song that says, dying he carried my sins far away. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called Yom Kippur. It's called the Day of Atonement. And what would happen is the priest in the Old Testament, he would take two bulls that were perfect and didn't have any spots on them. He would take one bull and he would slaughter it. He would take the blood and he would pour it all over the altar. And that that bull would, of course, be, or that goat would be dead, would be sacrificed. Then he would turn to this second bull. This is a goat. And he would lay his hands on the second goat, on the head of the second goat. And in a symbolic way, placing the sins of Israel on the second goat. And then that second goat would be led out into the wilderness on days journeys into the wilderness, far from civilization, to the point where that goat had no way of returning back to civilization. The picture of this is the forecasting of what Jesus was going to do on the cross when God saw it fit to place all of your sin on the very head of Jesus so that in dying he would carry our sins far away. But then we believe the lie that says, well, he carried it some far away, but not far enough away. This is what I want us to see, guys, is that the forgiveness that we have of our trespasses, it's not according to our understanding of forgiveness. Paul makes it so clear. He says it's according to the riches of his grace. So how far has your sin been removed, you who believe? How far? Your sin is as removed as God is rich. That just speaks to me. I apologize for being emotional. But man, that speaks to me. Because my sin is gone. For those who believe, it's gone. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's gone. Not according to my behavior, not according to my benefit, not according to, to, to my what I do to impress God, but it's according to the riches of his glorious grace. My sin is as removed as God is rich. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on. To send away, my sin has been forgiven. We forget so quickly that God has put the sin of those who believe on the head of Jesus. The Old Testament calls it as far as the east is from the west. So he has removed our trespasses against us. You think about that, you who are travelers east and west. You get the picture there? You can travel east as long as you want, and guess what? You're still traveling what? East. You never start traveling west as if you're going east. He didn't say north and south because you can be going south, and all of a sudden you start going what? North. So it's east and west. 
as far as the east is from the west. God took your sin and took it an, an eternally infinite distance away, never for it to be re- returned. That's how far your sin is from you. And then it says, which he lavished upon us. Man, he just didn't kind of dose it out on us, okay? He lavished it. This word comes from this idea that so much is given that you can't count it anymore. So much is given. Our national debt, some 15 trillion, 16 trillion, I don't know, it just keeps going up. We can, trillion, we can count to trillion. Somebody can, I can't, you know. Mia can, you know. <laughs> we have these jokes. But, but anyways, um, we, somebody can count to trillion. God has lavished his grace on you because he is so rich that you can't even count how much grace has been given. Our sin is as removed as God is rich. Now, before we leave and before we celebrate this in remembering what Christ did for us at the, uh, at the Lord's Supper, I want to make sure we leave here with a good understanding of what this is teaching us. If we just put, stop it off here, it sounds like God is kind of uh, giving us the hookup. He's kind of our butler, our, our hookup. But that's not the total picture here. Is this for our benefit? Man, you better believe it. But why did he bless us? Why did he choose us? Why did he adopt us? Why did he uh, count us as righteous and accept us? Why did he redeem us? Why did he forgive us? Why did he lavish these gifts upon us? It's right here. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us this mystery of his will, this mystery of of how does this work? What is happening? How uh, a holy God and an imperfect people, this mystery, making known to us how this works according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And I know this is a lot. I'll try to explain quickly as a plan for the fullness of time, as a plan when history ends, when the clock stops because time has gotten to its end, when the fullness of time, when time has 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 met its end and what we know as human history ends when that day comes here's the whole purpose of this choosing of this redemption of this making us acceptable before him to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on the earth here's what i want you to understand man before creation even started god was completely satisfied in who he was, not in any need of you or me. God did not create us because he needed somebody to worship him. The relationship he had with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was perfect. But to prove and demonstrate his glory and his power and his majesty, he decided to create this theater that we call the universe, creation. And he created a beautiful and glorious creation by his creative abilities. And mankind had the choice to either obey him or to reject him. And we know what happened in Genesis. There was a rebellion. And in that moment, human humanity rebelled. Creation, the Bible says in Isaiah that the beasts of the field, they still bring glory to God. The Bible teaches us in, in Psalms 19 that the heavens still declare the glory of God. But you and I in our rebellion, we no longer declare the glory of God because we've rebelled against him. 
And so because when this history of humanity is over and when heaven starts, when all is dead and judged, when those who do not believe in Jesus are judged, when the devil is judged, when the hell itself is judged and cast into the lake of fire, all the stuff that we read about in Revelation, when that day comes, God is able to bring together all things again in him, just like back at the creation. So humanity is there, those who believe in Jesus. You see, if God did not redeem us, if God did not provide a way for us to come back to him through faith in Jesus, when this world had ended and our human history is over, there would be a missing piece in God's creation, and that would be you and me, humanity. But because God just wants to show how awesome he is, he provided a way for the rebellious person to come to him through Jesus. So is this for us? Is this about us? Yeah, it is. But man, it's bigger than that. This is a holy God who wants for his own glory and for his own self just to continue to display how awesome he is. And though we reject him, he provides the blood of Christ to take our sin and remove it as he is righteous, as he is rich. Let's just bow our heads for a minute and just think about this. Just think about this. Just think about how this this depression can come on your life and your heart, how this depression can come and, and destroy this joy that you have. A commentator wrote, he sees everything about us in stark naked reality. Yet God says, I am satisfied with you because I'm satisfied with my son to whom you belong. When I look at you, I see him and I am pleased. My sin is as removed as God is rich. It's time for us to stop believing the lies of the enemy and believe that my sin is as... As great as my sin is, the riches of God are greater. Paul said, though sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So which are you going to believe tonight, guys? This morning, sorry. The lies of the enemy that dump the guilt on you or the truth of God's word. Now listen, if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus, then that guilt remains. That condemnation remains. And you must humble yourself before the hand of God and say, I need you. And come to God by faith in Jesus. If you don't, then the condemnation remains. But to those who believe, it's gone. What would happen if in our church, the believers in this church, what would happen? Just visualize this. What would happen in your family? in your home, in this community, if each of us began to live in the reality that my sin is as removed as God is rich? What if each of us in our church began to really believe that, that the condemnation is no more, that the devil can try to steal my joy, but Jesus is greater? What would happen in this church? I, I think the very spirit of God would be poured out. I think the power of the Spirit of God would be thick in this place. I think that Crozet would never be the same again. Because, see, we're not here to build a gathering. 
And we're here to be the body of Christ. To carry the message of hope of Jesus into this world. I'm not here to gather an audience. Guys, I'm here to be a part of an army of God. And I want to see big things happen. And I hope you do too. This is how we're going to close our service. Nick is going to begin to play through the one of the songs that we sang earlier. I'm going to set our offering baskets on these chairs. And I'm going to invite you to come and partake in the Lord's Supper. As you come up, let's think this through as we take this bread and remember that The body of Christ was broken to bring about our redemption. One of the most painful, horrid deaths ever possible. He endured it for you to come to be a part of the all things united in the future. That's amazing. As you take one of of the cups back to your seat with you, recall the blood. This blood that we just read about, the price for your atonement, the price for your forgiveness. You see, when you say that my sin is greater, that my, that, that, and I, when you live underneath the reality of your guilt, here's what happens. You say, Jesus, your blood was not enough. My sin is greater than your blood. Listen to those words. But there's freedom. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. For those who believe, you're free. Let's worship him. Take us back to your seat, time of prayer, or you can gather as families in corners of our room, but just worship. I would ask that you drop your offering in the bucket on the way up or on the way back so we don't have to take the time to pass the buckets through. And as you get back to your seat, you can join in with Nick in singing. Or you could just sit there and worship in prayer. Father, I just pray as we take this Lord's Supper, this communion, God, that you would remind us that your payment was full. God, if there's any who are struggling in their belief, God, I pray that, that you would settle that in their mind. God, if they didn't want to come and talk to me during this time, God, give them the courage to come and talk to me. But God, may they believe in you, in your son, Jesus, who sets us free through his blood. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.